This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks, and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural, and always free from sweeteners, fillers, and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com. That's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com. Use the code FABULOUSLY10, that's one zero, to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases. Not valid on subscribe and save. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 170 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And before I introduce this week's guest, I want to tell you about a carnivore challenge I'm running in January. Laura in my Facebook group asked if we could rerun the challenge that we did earlier this year. And there was lots of people interested. So we're starting after Christmas in Carnival month, which is the month of January. But towards the end of the month, once all the holiday celebrations are out the way and I'm back from my holiday. So if you're interested in finding out more about the Carnivore Challenge, go to fabulouslyketo.com forward slash 30DCC hyphen Jan 24. So that's 3030DCC hyphen Jan 24. And that's short for 30 day Carnivore Challenge. There is a discount code available to all of you until the end of December and you have to type in all in capitals the letter E for Echo, B for Bravo, 130, D for Delta, C for Charlie, C for Charlie, 2023. So that's EB130, DCC, 2023. So here we go for this week's guest. Now, I have to apologise because some of the signal dropped out a little bit, but I think you can still make out what was being said. And so today, as you've probably guessed, I'm interviewing Dr. Tony Hampton. Dr. Hampton has been on my list for several years um, since I first heard him speak on another podcast. And every time I see Joanne McManamy, she tells me how lovely Tony and his wife are. Joanne gave me his email address this summer and I emailed him and he got back to me straight away and then booked in. <clears throat> it was great to finally speak to him. So let me tell you about Dr. Tony. 
Dr. Tony Hampton is a board certified family medicine and obesity medicine physician with a focus on helping people reverse the root cause of disease. As the chair of the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners Outreach Committee, he's on a mission to share the healing message that it is possible to reverse the root cause of disease by achieving metabolic health. He is the author of Fix Your Diet, Fix Your Diabetes and host of Protect Your Nest podcast. Dr. Hampton is especially passionate about removing barriers to health and equipping patients and his colleagues with the education and resources they need to take charge of their health. He previously served as the medical director of the Advocate Operating System, where he collaborated with clinicians and staff on programs to address social determinants of health among at-risk patient populations. Dr. Hampton is located in Chicago, Illinois, and through his many outlets can be found to give you direct advice and assistance in leading you towards improved health. So let's go and hear from Dr. Tony Hampton. Welcome, Dr. Tony, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me, uh, Jackie. Um, just excited to know that you're out there spreading a good word about metabolic health. Yeah, we can reach the people we can reach and hopefully listeners will pass it on to people they know and spread that reach even further. Um, so we always start with where in the world are you? I'm... Uh... Lucky to be in the United States in uh, the great city of Chicago. That's where I grew up. And I dragged my wife, um, who I met in college, from uh, Mississippi. We <laughs> were in college in uh, New Orleans, and she was from Mississippi. And I dragged her to Chicago. So we've gotten used to the cooler temperatures. and um, But it's nice to be in a big city where there's so much to do and so much culture. So I'm we're happy to be here. Eventually, we'll plan ourselves in a warmer place, <laughs> but for <laughs> now, we'll we'll tolerate Chicago for now. So, a lot of work to be done on the south side of Chicago. Yeah, I can imagine. And so, why don't we start with your journey and how you came to low carb keto, sort of verging on for carnivore? Are you carnivore? Yeah, I'm definitely uh, like so many people. Um, they they kind of start low carb and start eliminating things based on how they feel. And I, and that's one of the biggest lessons for anybody who hears our voice today is it's okay to be, uh, you know, Mediterranean. It's okay to be low carb. It's okay to be keto, ketovore or carnivore, but your body is your best um, teacher. So if your body says that's where you're comfortable, then you land there. Uh, for me, my journey started more plant-based after I was attempting to uh, help my kids heal. And so being a new parent, I purchased a book, um, How to Disease Proof Your Kids. And that book, I think, was written by Dr. Furman, Joe Furman. And, you know, it was just the uh, first thing that I Googled. It said plant-based was the way to go. So I did that initially. And we probably were plant-based for about eight years as a family. Um, then my wife... Um, ended up, um, you know, surprising us all with the diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. And in that moment, we um, wanted to help her. But um, 
I don't know that I truly understood the impact of diet in uh, helping someone with diabetes in the way that I, I learned. So, so I started doing my research and every time I looked at ways to improve blood sugar control, it seemed to always favor low carb. And that was contrary to everything I had learned from the low fat world. So, um, so we did an experiment, me and my wife, and ultimately, obviously, the kids. And we found that that was the only way that she could get the type of control for type 1 diabetes. And um, so, and, and, and in that paradigm, before we started doing that, we, we, we were always told just match the insulin with the carbs that you consume. And so you don't have to be as concerned about the carbs, but the the ability to do that is nearly impossible because the matching never matches. So, so we learned that if we are consuming a meal based on the American Diabetes Association, where we are we are allowed to have up to forty five carbs per meal, right? Yeah. Um, then we're is that meal really forty five? Or is it really 40 or is it 50? You're just guessing. So now you're trying to match the insulin with that. And ultimately you end up getting lucky, hitting the lottery and getting the number right. And even if you get it right, it's still not going to necessarily increase the insulin to match the glucose spike perfectly, right? Mm-hmm. But 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 most of the times you end up too low or too high. So now you're on this roller coaster. Now, now we flip that and we imagine that my wife, instead of having a 45 carb, let's cut that by 90%, we go to 4.5 carb meal, right? And now it could be off, it could be 3.5 or 5.5, but the amount of insulin needed to treat that is so low that the, uh, what we call glycemic variability, that up and down is gonna be very narrow now. And so so it's not likely she'll end up hypoglycemic or hypo, hyper. And, And because of that, she now can have a level blood sugar. She can have a very tight range. So now she feels better. She's not fatigued. She's not irritable. Uh, she has mental clarity. And, and that's the secret. So once we understood that, that then led to me um, working on my patients uh, to work on their diet. Now, of course, that's type twos as well. And we have found um, that people adopting a diet where they reduce carbs is more sustainable because most people still want to eat meat. Um, and we find that it's, there's so many things they can do that are alternatives. I, we, we just did Maria Emmerich's um, lasagna where you pretty much just use deli slice uh, chicken or turkey instead of pasta. And you get... Yeah. You, t- you turn that 40 carb lasagna to basically four. And it was amazing to see that her blood sugar didn't just not spike, but it actually went down after she ate it. <laughs> so that, that provides hope. And more importantly, for people who love lasagna, it provides an opportunity to have lasagna. <laughs> yeah. So, and then they have, and then she has a carnivore recipe uh, for those who don't want to have the tomato, the marinara sauce. So, so it's really, it's a game changer that you can have, in her case, a chronic disease 
And for a type two diabetic, you can re reverse and heal from it and put it into remission. It's just hope. And then people can then gain those years of life lost because on average you can lose, you know, eight to 12 years of life uh, if you have an A1C that hangs in the eight range mm -hmm. just because it's going to cause damage. And we live in a world now where they don't even want you to have an A1C in the normal range by conventional standards because they think you're going to be at risk for hypoglycemia. Well, if you just do what I just described, you won't have hypoglycemia. Yeah. So I think we have to change this, the expectations, but you can't do it with medicine alone. You have to do it with lifestyle. Yeah. And so how long were you plant-based? Wow. Uh, it was about seven or eight years. And I, I remember the day when um, I, <laughs> the day I came home and had made these discoveries because I was writing a book, Fix Your Diet, Fix Your Diabetes. And um, I said, dear, it seems like we need to try to carb. So I came with some skin. And um, she's like, what are we going to do with that? I said, we're going to eat it. So it was so fun to like reintroduce <laughs> uh, those things back into our lives. And so eight years, and I was, I was literally eating uh, tofu steaks and all kinds of stuff that in retrospect was uh, not better for me. But I was just... My brain was just convinced that animal-based food will increase your risk for heart heart attacks and cancer. And, and you know, it's very difficult to have to play detective and have to, you know, be a scientist and start to look at data yourself. We're very busy people. Yeah. And I, you know, yesterday, I think I saw 27 patients in clinic and, you know, how do you do that, have a life with your family, um, have a little time for play and have time to read studies, right? So, so, but I had to force myself because I was writing a book. And so I said, okay, let me look at the data. And when I started looking at the data, I was like, man, this whole plant-based thing is based on observational studies. I was fortunate when I got my master's in nutrition and functional medicine to take an entire course on how to read uh, research studies. And when I did that, I learned that when you look at a study, you have to ask certain questions. But the first question is probably the quality of the study. And I had not known before that, that most of the nutritional research was observational. So, and that means that you simply are using food frequency questionnaires. You're asking questions with surveys and you're looking at data, your data mining. And when you're data mining, it's not going to lead to um, causation. A equals B is going to lead to possible association, possible correlation. So, so surveys and data mining is not real research. And, and I did not realize that nearly, nearly 100% of the people I follow, Dr. Esselstein, Dr. Ornish, um, the, the gentleman who wrote the uh, China study, uh, Colin uh, Campbell, um, they all rely heavily on observational studies. And, and although you have to honor those studies in terms of saying we need to do additional research, once you get to a point where you have randomized controlled trials, which is literally an experiment, and those studies tend to 
provide causation. And this is a, a what what really blew my mind as I think about this concept of research. Uh, I saw a study that looked at the studies and it said nearly, I think it was 78% of observational studies when they finally do a randomized controlled trial are proven wrong. Almost 80%. Wow. So that means that 80% of what we knew in nutrition was false. Yeah. So with that knowledge, I made a, a decision as a clinician as a, and a person who cares about the people in front of me. If I'm going to make a decision about your health, if there is a randomized controlled trial, it'll always be favored over the observational survey, data mining surveys, uh, studies. And so once I started doing that, it became clear. And rather it was the... Um, the um, the research that was put out there by, not the research, but the data that was put out there by larger organizations uh, that kind of compare low carb and low fat. Um, I have found that there's really no comparison. Um, low carb tends to always be low fat. Now, the good news is if you're doing well on low carb, a low fat, and you're thriving, have at it. But if you're struggling and you're forcing yourself to do something that's not working, then logic would say, that's probably not a good idea. So I encourage people to, let's do an experiment where you try different approaches. And then once you find one that's working for you, then you can, you can land there. But you have to be careful even with that because when I landed with vegetarian, I thought that was still the answer. And it wasn't until I looked at more data that I said, well, maybe I should question that because, and I didn't think I could feel better. I was, I had an irritable bowel. So my story is my irritable bowel as opposed to my kids and my wife. And I did feel better with vegetarian, um, but I was still bloated. I was still gassy. I was still having cramping. And then instead of having an attack of irritable bowel every three weeks I was having it every two to three months but I was still having it mm. and but when I went low carb it started to fade and then why did I go all the way from low carb keto ketovore to carnivore is because when I do carnivore I don't realize I have a stomach it just went and my stomach just dis- dis- where did my stomach go well because I don't have symptoms I don't have to and I think even one of your previous guests Coach Bronson, who I interviewed, and he talked about he had a stomach problem. And everywhere, just like Coach Bronson, everywhere I would go, I had to think about my stomach. Yeah. So I just don't want to live a life where my stomach is on my brain when I have other things to do, like teach people about metabolic health. And you can't get to that place and want to go backwards because you have reclaimed your life. Now to the lay person, they think, well, it's no big deal. You just take your BO, but they don't understand how it consumes you. And how I, when, before I walk on the stage, like I mentioned uh, before we started recording that I was at Keto Palooza. And before my belly healed, I would have to literally think about, okay, I gotta speak at noon. So what do I need to do to make sure my belly's okay? Uh, is there a bathroom nearby? And all of these things that I don't think about anymore. So it's really a gift from the universe, a gift from above 
to have discovered this, that die can do this. My biggest disappointment, though, is that so many people won't discover this, which is why we have to have these conversations. I want somebody to not have to discover this 20 years from now. I want them to discover it today. And we're just talking about irritable bowel. But as you know, the benefits of keto and metabolic health are quite vast. Yeah. <laughs> and so many people will heal. Yeah. So it's been it's been great for me. One of the, the things that, because you're saying how much mental energy it takes up when you've got particularly IBS, all the worrying concern, um, people can't, well, it was, it's like you say, people can't imagine what it's not like not to have that. And from my experience, I didn't have IBS, but I had this constant thinking about food all the time. And you don't realize how much mental energy that takes up and how different it is when you don't have to think about it anymore. And I can imagine going on stage and speaking with IBS would be an added stress as well. You you don't really have time um, on the stage to have those distractions. Um, I One of the things I've done more recently with my presentations is to just have an image. Um, and, but the image gives me flexibility, the flexibility to speak off the cuff. What's What am I feeling in that moment? And in those images require mental you know just just the ability to 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 think about other things but my belly shouldn't be one of them now um one of the things you know just in terms of not worrying about it anymore is hunger so i you know i wake up every morning and, and i'm mostly a water guy i i sometimes do coffee but it's so nice to not be hungry. Um, it's kind of perplexing to not be hungry. It's kind of weird to not be hungry, but I'm just not hungry. So as it relates to being able to achieve more, to focus on other things that's important, I just eat at a certain time. I'm a luncheon dinner guy. And if I don't get lunch because I'm busy, this happened just yesterday at clinic. <clears throat> I had some of the food that I would normally eat, which for me tends to be meat. And yesterday it was chicken thighs. And I was just, I ate it at the end of clinic at four or so. And then I had a dinner later at seven or eight. But my point is, even if I didn't eat it before, I would have been okay. Now imagine, for those who haven't experienced that, imagine how much more productive you would be. 60%. For those who eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks in between, 60% of their energy expenditure is on digestion. So imagine if you could take some of that 60% and get it down to maybe 20%. 30%. And now your body has, instead of 40% to do other things, it has the energy to help prevent cancer, help you, you know, uh, maybe heal in some way. 
help make your body more efficient, keep your hormones balanced. And just, how about just time to rest? Yeah. Isn't that nice to let the body just rest? So, and then when you're being asked to do something, it's like, hey, I'm good to go because I've been sitting here resting. (laughs) So, in fact, when I get on that stage, I'm better off not eating than eating. My mental clarity is so much better if I go on the stage fasted. Now, you couldn't have told me that when I was a vegetarian. In fact, if I had gotten on that stage as a vegetarian, I would be famished. And I just like the idea of not grazing like a cow. Yeah. I like the idea of being more like a lion or a tiger who eats. And in many cases, maybe they do it once or twice a week. I don't want to go that far. (laughs) I'm not Dr. Jason Fong. (laughs) Shout out to Dr. Jason Fong. But for me, I, I love the fact that I don't have to think about food. It's just, it's been a gift. That's just a gift that I don't think I anticipated. And it's a gift that I want more people to experience. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things is we need to understand the root cause of sickness. And I know your nest and rope sort of deals with that. Can you, for those that haven't heard about nest and rope, can you run through that for them? Yeah, well, um, doctors are not that smart. They just use acronyms to remember things. <laughs> Let me say that. And I, and I say that, I joke about that, but I actually, I, I tell my kids this, listen, there's no smart people. There's just people that work hard. Like if you want to learn something, my son, his name is Brandon. He has a great podcast called Rhythmus Negros. He speaks in English and Spanish, two different episodes for each language. And he could not dance before he entered high school. Now he teaches people how to dance, right? You can learn anything in life, right? So so we can learn and be better. So one of the things I learned is if I'm going to help people, I can't just assume that they're going to be helped with a handout. So I have a link tree, Dr. Tony Hampton link tree, if they search that. And it has a handout that says, eat this, don't eat that. And that's my little low-carb keto handout. And I have links to videos and all of this different stuff, right? But so some people, you give them a handout and they're fine. Some people give them a video and they're fine. But, but most people, because we're human, will struggle, right? So because people will struggle, I need to be a detective, Because people, when you come to them, they're desperate for answers. And they just assume, since you have a doctorate, that you can give them answers. So so what I try to do is I I use my nest and rope to help, like, figure out what the struggle may be. And I don't necessarily do that for everybody at every visit. Because some people will be fine with a handout. Eat this, don't eat that, right? Yeah. But for others... You know, when they, what's the root cause of why we struggle? And what I learned from my functional medicine training, they have a functional medicine tree, is that some of that deals with nutrition, that's the nest. Some of it is lack of exercise. Some of it is too much stress, not enough sleep. Our thoughts, self-limiting thinking. I've been in trauma and I haven't recovered from trauma. And then some of it is rope. The rope is relationships and 
and avoiding organisms and pollutants that can harm us and protecting our emotions and making sure our life experience is service. So that's what the acronym speaks to. So that's part of, so my job is to look at people in front of me and realize that do they have issues around these areas when they struggle, right? And if they do, then I need to be a source of support to help them. That's number one. Number two, I then later learned that there are reasons why some people struggle. And people struggle with, like, if I use the term health equity, what the heck is health equity, right? And and what I love is, in fact, when I was speaking at the um, at Keto Palooza, I talked about health equity briefly. And imagine everybody having equal access to um, an apple on a tree. The the apple is at the same height for everybody. So technically, everybody has equal access to that apple, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is maybe some people are shorter than others. So they just can't reach the apple. Now, in the example I use at the Keto Palooza is imagine um, an African-American woman, for example, an African-American woman who, for some reason, has an infant mortality rate and a mortality rate herself when she's pregnant that's greater than her counterparts. The question is why? And the answer is, what we found is that many of these women have higher cortisol levels, higher stress hormone levels. Mm-hmm. And that stress hormone level being elevated increases risk for miscarriage and complications in pregnancy. And if that's true, and we put the apple in the same height for her, but we don't realize she has this issue, is it, would the world be a better place if we knew that and we did something to mitigate that for her? And what we found is that the easy way to fix that, which is amazing, is to provide support. And once you provide her support, a group of people who are like her, who are maybe pregnant, going through the same thing, then the risk of that elevated cortisol being high goes away. So so being having living in a world where there's equity means that we understand that some people will struggle and we do things in our health system, in our world to say, man, that person has a set of circumstances that are different. And it doesn't have to be an African-American female in America. It could be uh, a white person in the UK who is in a dysfunctional marriage. And that woman will struggle because she's she's not going to be thinking about keto. She's thinking about, I'm in a dysfunctional marriage. So I can't think about my diet in the context of that dysfunctional marriage. So we need to then have clinicians in front of her that says, you know what, let's address your dysfunctional marriage first. Now, rather that leads to, you know, you guys getting counseling and doing better or divorce, we're going to support you through that. And then we're going to help you with this whole keto thing. And and guess what? As you deal with your marriage, rather you stay together or not, having a level brain, because your sugars are not up and down and up and down, like I described with my wife's scenario, then you're more likely to deal with the stress because we know keto for refractory mental illness study done by Dr. Georgia Ede and, and, and Dr. Eric Westman proves that keto is great for mental health. 
So it'll help you. And we'll try to ease that into the conversation, but we're going to deal with marriage first. So, so I think what I've learned about health equity is that you, you have to address the economic barriers. Um, you, got, you have to address the access to food barriers. You have to address access to healthcare barriers. You have to address the fact that I can't expect certain people to jog in their neighborhood if there's like people getting shot in the neighborhood. So what do we do about exercise? And, and what do we do most importantly about community? How do we make sure people have that community to support them so that when they face struggle, they have a community that will help them. I, I will be um, later today, uh, I'm, one, I'm one of the doctors that supports the um, steak and butter gang uh, led by Bella of the steak and butter YouTube channel, a great YouTube channel. And, and why do we even have that? Well, because people need support and they need an answer to questions that their conventional doc can't answer. So I'm there to support them. But guess what? Dr. Hampton feels supported in that group as well. Uh, so we all need community. And even when you think about the Blue Zones, I've, on my YouTube channel, I made a video about um, Dan Butner and the Blue Zones. And although we now know and the video was about the fact that the Blue Zones are actually not plant-based as advertised. But we did um, also make a video talking about, which I hadn't released yet, about the, the the lessons learned from the Blue Zones. And although it's observational and we just shared that it only shows association correlation, we, we did learn that one of the top things that you need to do to live to 100 to be a centenarian was to have, to be in the right tribe. Yeah. For some people to have a sense of family being the priority and just having that community rather than from the church or from just being in the steak and butter gang, just having a sense of community. Those are the things that'll keep us on the planet longer. Yeah. And I really am so grateful that those resources are available to people. So we, we, so, and, and, and I would love to have Dan Buter on my podcast, even though I'm making fun of him a little bit, because we need to have conversations that allow vegans and carnivores to live in harmony, which was the topic of my conversation at this symposium for metabolic health in, in San Diego in the U.S. Because I think we, we have enough in common that we can honor the fact that if my peer has a different approach, they're not wrong. It's just that it's different. And let them live in that space. But I definitely want to live in a world where we don't force our babies like in New York in the United States to eat plants on Mondays and Fridays because I would never, never force them to eat meat on Mondays and Friday only. That wouldn't be fair either. So I, I don't wanna live in a world where we force people, we just educate people and let them do what's best for them. Yeah, I, I think that's a really key point to make because it feels like we're being forced force-fed the plant-based agenda, whereas if you come to it of your own accord, whatever that reason is, one, it's more likely to stick rather than being forced on you. But then the other is this bodily autonomy. You know, we should be able to choose what we put into our body, whether that's through uh, food or medication or whatever else it is that we, you know, what, what we put on our skin, for example, cosmetics and things like that. 
it's it's our choice and i think that is really key and i i i'm just so glad that my kids are not in school anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's right and we'll keep fighting for um common sense uh approaches and i i think i would only add that we're just asking people to pause and 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 ask them what it feels like when people tell them what to do like is that really the world we want to live in where we indoctrinate people into beliefs that we think are best and that's why even the guidelines that we don't agree with they're called guidance but they're not law yeah and i think miss unfortunately in the nutrition space they're a little bit more obligated to follow that but i think for the most part clinicians should be given options to say this is an option so even if we can't change the dietary guidelines like Anina Taishos is trying to do with the Nutrition Coalition. Yeah. Yeah. It should be guidance, but it shouldn't be law. Yeah. And I think people misinterpret what their purpose is. Um, so we have a lot of work to do in that space. Yeah. And what would happen if we didn't have those guidelines? Maybe we should go back to pre-1980s and well, do you away with it. with that. I think Nina Taishos <laughs> would agree. Yeah. And I, I I think there's more harm potentially in creating what we think is the standard because clearly that's going to always be controversial. Yeah. And we're and it's always going to be evolving. And I just don't know that that's the right answer. So I don't disagree with Nina Teichos when she says maybe we don't need them at all uh, because it's caused more harm than good, in my opinion. Mm. So... Right at the beginning, you were talking about the south side of Chicago. How different is that to other parts of Chicago? What are you encountering there, and how are you helping people make changes? Yeah, um, well, it's, 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 it's striking, and I've shared this previously, but um, we, if, even if you think about the, the Blue Zones, right, I don't know that the people in the Blue Zones – um, are aware that their zip codes, they probably don't use zip codes, but their zip codes is what's the factor that leads to longevity. Mm. So it's true in Chicago and it's true everywhere. So if you just happen to be born in the blue zones, you're going to probably live longer. Well, if you're just happen to be born in on the South side of Chicago in certain neighborhoods, I use Inglewood as one example. Um, your life expectancy is 60 years in Inglewood at that zip code uh, on the south side of Chicago. But then if you drive downtown, which is not far at all, and there's a neighborhood called Streeterville in Chicago, your life expectancy is 90 years. So your zip code defines your life expectancy. And so... What do you do with that type of information besides be shocked by it? Um, Well, we're not magical, so we can't fix everything. But what would a health system do? The health system would first understand that that's our current state. And then you say, well, how can we improve so that the future state is better? And so what we've done with and the health system I'm in is called Advocate Health. It was in Illinois, we merged with Aurora in Wisconsin in the U.S. 
and became Advocate Aurora. And then we merged with Atrium more recently. And Atrium was in North South Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama. So now we're in six states. We're uh, probably the largest population health organization, which meaning that we manage the population in a way that's not fee-for-service, but we try to keep people healthy as much as possible. Um, and, and with that model, we are accountable for the care of the people we serve, meaning that if we do a good job, in fact, we save more money for Medicare um, than probably, I know in Illinois, we far exceed our colleagues, like Northwestern University of Chicago, et cetera. But we, we save money because we are keeping people healthier yeah. and doing the things that we consider helpful. So what, what, what have we done? Number one, we have a uh, food pharmacy, meaning that people come to our hospitals uh, every other week or so and one of the affiliate uh, churches and they just get food. But they don't just get food, they get food in a context of, oh, by the way, here are things that are going to be good for you metabolically. Instead of doing pasta, we would do cauliflower. And we'd say, well, you can make mac and cheese with that if you, here's the recipe. So we teach them how to eat it in a way that's very helpful. And more recently, we've, uh, we, have, we had land near one of our hospitals. I think it was Sherman Hospital. And at that hospital, we took that land and we started growing some of our own, own food. So yes, the carnivore doctor encourages the growth of plants for those who eat plants. It's okay. But we try to grow the plants that are not going to spike your blood sugar. So we have a smart farm where we then supply food to the food pharmacy, but we also have a partnership with the Chicago Food Depository so that they, they we partner with people because they help us to fill the knowledge gaps we don't have. We're not food, you know, we're, that's not what we do. We don't give out food. So we partner with people who are trained to do that. We also have diabetes prevention programs so people never get diabetes. And I, when I lead those programs, I lean towards a low-carb approach with exercise and other lifestyle changes. And we have a COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease programs. They, were, they became virtual during the pandemic, but those programs teach patients how to use lifestyle to do better. And we have, we have other programs where we literally do uh, baby showers where our patients... Uh, at some of our hospitals and, and we become like that that support I mentioned earlier. So now we have a, a place to support our patients during their pregnancies and, and, and many other programs. But, but in the context of health equity and trying to help our patients through those struggles and, you know, since there's food deserts and things like that, we, we say, well, let's fix the food issue by contributing. We can't fix everything. We just want to make a contribution. And if we do really well as a health system, since we're one of the largest now, probably in the top 10 in the country in terms of size, guess what the other health systems are going to do? They're going to say, man, they're being successful with that model. Maybe we can try that. Guess what the insurers are going to do? We want to connect our patients to a health system that does more than just prescribe a statin. We want to connect them to a health system that's going to help them heal and to reverse disease. So my goal as long as I'm able to. Uh, I won't be an independent YouTuber like Ken Berry if I can also do this work in a health system that's hearing me. Because I think ultimately we will reach more people eventually if we can convince large health systems to 
understand what achieving metabolic health means. So that's kind of laying them in, but I'm also going to do it in the context of health equity. In other words, if I assume that everybody has the same set of circumstances, if I go to rural America and I have a family struggling in rural America and I don't address the reasons why they struggle, then I will have not served them. And it's not their responsibility solely. They do have some responsibility, but it's not their responsibility solely to understand the things we're talking about. I'm supposed to be the expert and not just an expert in low-carb keto carnivore, but the expert on how to engage people and how to help people when they struggle. So if I do a really good job of, of that, I may not reach everybody, but I'm going to reach so many more people. Yeah. And everybody deserves, rather they're, making minimum wage at a job or a CEO. Everybody deserves to have a long, healthy life on this planet. And if we can help them do that, then we would have served ourselves. We would have lived our purpose. And for those who are spiritual, we would have served God. I just think that this is what you should do. We have to have a sense of purpose and and live in that purpose each and every day. And And you can do that even in a job you don't like. Where Where can you find purpose no matter what you do? Always striving to get to your purpose. So maybe that's not the right job for you down the road, but while you're in that job, how can I live my purpose? How can I serve my family? How can I be a steward to um, the circumstances I'm in? Because everybody's gonna make a contribution. And I, I learn from my patients and I try to teach them as well. And it's been a nice collaborative relationship. And I I just, again, feel so blessed that I've been given access to information. I did have to go look for it, but I didn't just settle for mediocrity. I didn't just settle for um, this idea that if I manage disease, I'm a good doctor. I have testimony after testimony of people who come and they say, doc, I made these changes. I did that. They say, I did that stupid diet you told me to do. (laughs) (laughs) They describe keto as a stupid diet. But guess what? You didn't say nothing about my weight today. You didn't say nothing about my A1C. And they're just so excited to get to that visit just to celebrate that. And it's been, I feel like a healer now. I feel like I am doing the things that I thought I was going to be doing when I started to think about becoming a doctor. And so for me, it's been like um, a return on investment that I can't put into words. And I am so thankful that that's been my current state. I'm just, and I'm going to keep doing that. And, uh, but, but do it humbly because I understand that everybody's not ready to hear what I have to say. Yeah. And I often think if I'd have known what I know now 20 years ago, how much better it would be, but I don't know that I would have listened 20 years ago. Who knows? So mm-hmm. you you come to it, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. That's right. Yeah. So it sounds like the company you're working for is really supporting what you're doing. Are there many doctors like you within, within the company? Not yet. Um, <laughs> how ironic, right? They also have something called advocate um, enterprises where they focus on uh, seniors, babies, you know, moms and babies. And, and uh, you know, they have this, so we have these different entities. Uh, but when you're merging 
a lot of things are evolving. So, so if you had talked to me two years ago, um, we wouldn't have had a health equity uh, segment of our medical group. You know what I mean? So, so things are evolving, but you're, but it's not just us. I have to go um, and, you know, in November and talk to the American Medical Groups Association. They literally just started health equity there for the, this will be their first year ever talking about it. They now have a vice president for health equity. So there's, you know, health equity deals with making sure people remove barriers, but, you know, you have uh, people, organizations that are now creating positions for vice president for a community, uh, you know, things like that. So we're trying to, um, and then I was literally just um, in a conference call um, this past week, and we talked about uh, some of our heart doctors are uh, getting together to do metabolic clinics. It's shocking. Like, really? They and, and when you hear it, you're like, really? Is this really happening? So it's like the dream of uh, where we need to go is starting to happen. Again, again, we need some people doing this on podcasts. We need some people doing it on YouTube. We need some people doing it at the conferences, but we also need it within the conventional model. And um, and I think if we can do all of that, it's going to be, we're going to be in a much better place. So it's really been exciting. And I think that this is not isolated to advocate health. We're going to start seeing it elsewhere. And as that, and, and once people understand that metabolic health is the key to preventing most of the so-called and I always say so-called chronic conditions because they're not necessary in many cases, right? Once we understand that 70, 80% of all chronic conditions, blood pressure, diabetes, dementia, even cancer risk, uh, are all mostly metabolic and, and we can prevent that and reverse that, then we're going to reduce the cost of healthcare. I mean, Dr. Tro partnered with an industrial company and he's in the United States and they were able to reduce the cost of care in his study. It was just 12 people. Um, but so if somebody, if someone searches Dr. Tro trial, uh, industrial company, they'll find it. And they reduced the cost of care $4,000 per person per year. So if you're a money person and a lot of people are, well, you're going to get return on investment. You're going to save a ton of money. And they did that by reducing the number of medicines people were taking. They did that by getting people off of insulin. They did that by uh, people just feeling a sense of well-being. And, and, and they did that by keeping people from being sick. And so you're reducing medicines, you feel better. And that is the model that healthcare should have. It shouldn't be a model of, again, disease maintenance. It should be about healing people. Mm -hmm. But again, how did they do it? They did it with diet, primarily keto, and they did it with coaching. And, and that coaching piece probably has more value than the diet piece yeah. because people will struggle. And if you don't help them through the struggle, they're not going to get through the struggle. Many people. There, there are unique unicorns in the world who you give them an ideal or a, and they just go hit it and they get it done. But most people are distracted by life and they're going to need a coach. So I think 
one of the things that's really important to message to people, if you struggle, that's okay, but you may need a coach. I don't care if it's a relationship coach or a leadership coach or someone just to help you with your nutrition, but be okay with that. Be okay with accepting help and getting people in your life that can help you along your way. Mm, yeah, because there's a lot of free resources out there, but people still need help. They still need help. That's why. That's right. That's why we're here. Um, I, I and also just going back to what you said before, it's not only the healthcare costs; it's the environmental, not environmental, the economic costs. Where if people are healthy, they're contr- contributing more in life, in work, in the world than if they're sick and at home and can't do anything. So the knock-on effects of having health are are massive. Yeah. um, I I start my day early with you. We have a conversation. I see patients virtually for a little bit. I have a meeting it's called the interdisciplinary team. And we talk about our sickest patients. I kind of help lead that. Got another meeting where we talk about research. There's a company called Food Smart, and I'm their medical director. And we talk about, you know, what's what's going on in the research around nutrition. We talk about that and some other stuff. Well, I got to do the steak and butter gang, have a conversation with them. Um, may have a couple of more patients to see virtually today. Oh, me and my wife are going to go visit her dad at the nursing home who he has dementia and we're trying to be present for him. Of course, there's things to do at the end of the day as well. But when you have a a life that's busy, and I think everybody in many ways have a life. Some of my retired patients are just as busy as I am, <laughs> which is really <laughs> ironic. There's There's only so much fuel in a tank, right? And... What we don't want to do is put the wrong fuel in the tank. So if we're trying to have a car, <clears throat> and we and my car is a very expensive luxury car, right? My body, very expensive. Yeah. It's a Range Rover, it's a Jaguar, whatever. I would never put the cheap fuel in that car. And when I drove to Keto Palooza, I put the best gas in my car, put the best gas in my body, and I can have a nice trip to Keto Palooza in Kentucky in the U.S. So if we're going to do that for our car, we need to do that for our body. And if we do that, then we have the bandwidth to to have an optimal body to do the things that we're doing. So everybody should be aware that am I giving my body its best opportunity to thrive? And if the answer is no, let's let's incrementally work towards changing that because you can't expect a child to go to school in the morning with a diet that doesn't serve that child and then expect them to perform in school if they are being given the wrong feel. Yeah. Particularly, uh, you know, I've seen moms walking down the street giving their kids potato chips and some juice concoction yeah. and then expect the kids to perform. Then they want to put them on medicines for ADHD. Mm. 
And it could have just solved the problem by, so I just think the fuel we give our body is important. And that way we can then have the energy. And I feel at 55, I look at a lot of the people who are in their 20s who support the work we do. And sometimes they're way more tired than Dr. Hampton. And it's it's not because they're, something's wrong with them. It's because they may have not prioritized sleep, maybe stayed up too late. Maybe they drink alcohol in, in excess. Maybe they don't give themselves the right fuel. And, and then, of course, they're going to feel tired. So being 25 and giving your body poor fuel, that, that, that car is not going to run as well no. as the 20-year-old car that's older, but you're giving it the best gas. So I just think we, it's common sense, but I think people don't think about it. And, and they, just, they live in a body that's so used to not getting the right fuel. They think it's normal yeah. to feel the way they feel. They think it's normal. And it's not normal. Yeah. yeah. So I just, again, just feel blessed that I've had a chance to do the experiment. And I'm trying to give people information that they won't. I tell my kids, learn from dad. Uh, we've been, we, you know, we talked to them about credit cards. And I think we both had like five plus credit cards when we got out of college. I said, you don't have to do that experiment because we did. And that didn't go very well. Yeah, so. <laughs> We did it for you, yeah. That's right. We did it for you. <laughs> so when you're working with patients, do you ever get much pushback if you're suggesting a diet and lifestyle change? Or do you find uh, that most people do want to make a diet and lifestyle change with the view of taking less medication? Yeah, I mean, when I interviewed Dr. Georgia Ede, <clears throat> the ex-psychiatrist from Harvard who now does metabolic health, you know, virtually, um, she um, was asked a similar question by me. And at the end of the day, um, people initially looked at me like deers in the headlight, but there's a percentage of patients who come to me who now have heard of me. So, <clears throat> So now I get a lot of people who come to me expecting the conversation. But for those people who don't know of me, just happen to land in front of me, they are uh, surprised, but they're not pushing back um, because I'm very good at meeting people where they are. So if I get, if somebody's in front of me and they're vegan, I don't sit there and spend time saying you should be carnivore. We don't do that. What we do is we say, so are you taking supplements? And, and then I'll tell them what supplements they need to take. I'll say, if they're diabetic, you have a meter, you have a continuous glucose monitor. This is not about vegan. It's not about carnivore. It's not about Dr. Hampton. It's not about you. It's about your meter. And I say to them, your meter or your continuous glucose monitor, that's the standard. If you eat quinoa, which you think is good for fiber and other vital nutrients, et cetera, and it doesn't spike your sugar, eat quinoa. Yeah. If you eat that and it spikes your sugar, that's a vegetable you shouldn't be, or a plant-based food you shouldn't be eating. So I meet them and say, listen, this is common sense. We both got common sense. We're trying not, your problem is you have a intolerance of too much glucose 
from certain types of carbs. So can we at least move you in a direction that'll help you? And I'll give them resources like the Vegetarian Reset book, which says, well, you can do low carb as a plant-based person or the diet doctor, meal plans, low carb, vegetarian. So I so I, so I don't get a lot of pushback because I meet people where they are. Yeah. And I had to learn to do that because when you learn the benefits of keto and you want to fix everybody with keto, you have to pause and not do that. You meet people where they are, you provide the information so they know, and then you walk with them. So in my visits, it's very like, hey, did you know? Did you know? Did you know? Saturated fat's not harmful. You're not going to get a, a cancer from red meat. And I, so I give them information. And then I say, let's see where you want to start your journey. Some people come to me and they're like, let's do carnivore. Other people come to me and they're like, you know what? I can do a low-carb plant-based diet, doc. And then we we walk with them. And then I say, if this is not working, you need to be open to eating some fish. You need to be open. You know, if I see deficiencies, I need you to be open. And, and they'll say, I'm open. Because people come to you with belief systems that are legitimate Hindu folk worship cows. Yeah. So what the heck am I doing telling a person who worship cows to then eat a cow? Yeah. Does that really make sense? It doesn't. No. <laughs> so you have to tell people, you find out what their beliefs are and you honor that. They may need information to explain, maybe the environment's not harmed by the cows like you thought. And you can give them information. Diana Rogers and you know, uh, those types of folk can help teach us these things. But my goal is to never preach to people, but give them hope and say, there is another way. You should not be diabetic type two. You could be done with diabetes within months and give them hope. Yeah, great. Thank you. So is there anything else that you wanted to mention today that we haven't already discussed? I think um, I think people need to understand that they have a huge impact on the world around them. And so I would want everybody to look at me. Dr. Hampton is just another guy who is living his purpose. So I want everybody to pause for a moment. And for me, it ended up being my purpose is to teach the world about metabolic health. That's why I call myself the metabolic health doc, right? A title many of us could have, you know? Yeah. But I just felt like that defined what I wanted to, to do in life. And I want to just have, give people access to that information. I chair the outreach committee for the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners. So my goal is to put this out there. So I want people to, you don't need a MD or MBA and masters in nutrition like I have. You don't need any of that. You just need to share what you're learning with others. And, and and that's why I use a link tree because anybody can get a link tree for free. You get a link tree, you put some folk you respect on that link tree. If you're going to be a content creator, you can put your stuff on there. Just share Nina Taisho's book, The Big Fat Surprise on your link tree. Just things like that. And then that way, you can say, hey, had you heard about this? And then that way, um, uh, the Public Health Collaborative, for example, they have the low-carb versus low-fat 
data, right? So they you can have a link to the Public Health Collaborative comparing low fat to low carb. And then people can then have that information. They can share it. And we can have that butterfly effect if we do that so that more people can benefit from learning this information. And if they hear it and it's not engaging for them, that's okay. But at least the information has been given to them. Mm. And that's that's kind of like a message I would send out to the world. Yeah. And sometimes you have to touch people a few times before they're ready to engage with it. You better know it. No doubt about that. Yeah. So how can people find out more about you, contact you? I think I think I... I, you know, when I started doing po- the Protecting Your Nest podcast, of course, they can go to the apps, podcast apps and find it. I found that um, that was a great place to kind of hear our voices, just like the work you're doing. I, I'm trying to, I found that a lot of my patients, particularly in the south side of Chicago, they're, they're like, what's a podcast? You know, so, <laughs> so I started, that's why I kind of put it on the YouTube channel and I'm going to be doing more work there. So I think the YouTube channel, search my name and Dr. Tony Hampton, YouTube. And then, of course, the link tree. If you need to look at that handout, eat this, don't eat that. Dr. Tony Hampton link tree. Uh, if you need to watch a video, how to do low carb or do adopt a low carb diet, I got a video about that. I have a great <clears throat> interview with uh, Ada Fox, the black carnivore. She's not active right now, but I did a, to how to do carnivore. So, and I think there's links there that'll help people get started. But I think I would use that link tree as the primary source, but absolutely uh, the YouTube channel is where I'm going to put a lot of focus. I'm going to start making shorter videos because people can't listen for hours sometimes. And then, um, and just, just keep spreading this message of healing. And, and then, uh, but that's where I would start. Brilliant. Thank you. So before you, before we let you go, um, what would you say are your three top tips? Well, um, Number one, expect to struggle. Mm. So if you expect to struggle, it's just like keto flu, right? So if somebody told me what keto flu was, although very few of my patients get it, then I'll, oh, I'm supposed to have these symptoms while my body's trying to heal. And it's very, and it's only going to last for a week or two. So that's number one. Um, number two, um, be willing to do the experiment in of one. You're doing your own experiment. So it doesn't really matter what you learned on this podcast. It's, what really matters is what you do when you do your experiment. And if you find that low carb works, have at it. If you find keto works better, have at it. And if you got to go all the way to carnivore, have at it. So do what's best for you. Surround yourself with support so that when you go crazy with something crazy like carnivore, you'll have people to support you so that you won't feel like an outlier. And the last thing is to, when you struggle, to be a problem solver. So use my nest and rope concept as a foundation for that, but just just uh, figure out why you're struggling and going back to the health equity stuff. Is there something else in your life that's leading to struggle and, and being comfortable with that and problem solving for what that looks like is is going to be very helpful. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. So, Dr. Tony, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been brilliant talking to you. It's been a long time for me to... Uh, you've been on my list for a long time, so it's been great to get you on eventually. Well, thank you for reaching out and uh, introducing me to your audience. And again, this is a grassroots effort, and 
it will take many more Tonys and Jackies to uh, get the job done. But I'm just happy you're on the planet. You're spreading this message and somebody's going to benefit from it. And hopefully they will then benefit someone else that will never meet, but they will absolutely find that metabolic health is the key to healing and preventing disease. So thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto 1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>